the words covenant and testament frequently in our Bible studies. Most of us think these words are interchangeable. So, we must ask ourselves, is there a difference in these words? Today's Differing Things will discuss this topic at length. Are we able ministers of the New Covenant, or are we able ministers of the New Testament? Now for our host, Bill Petrie. King James Version reads 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 6, this way, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now the us in that verse would be grace believers today. It would not be a reference to Israel, but it would be a reference to us who are members of the church, which is Christ's body. The Universal Version Bible reads it this way, who also made us able ministers of a new divisory will, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit makes alive. The verse I just read is one of the two mentions of the New Testament or a new divisory will in Paul's epistles, which are written to the members of the Gentile church that Paul called the body of Christ. But what does Paul mean when he says we of Christ's body are able ministers of the New Testament. Is he referring to Israel's new covenant, as seen in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, which reads, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. The words testament and covenant seem to be used interchangeably in scripture, but in fact, they are very different words. So long as we keep their definitions straight, the matter is simple. While people use covenant and testament interchangeably in normal conversation, it is best to leave them in their respective verses as seen in the King James Version and the Universal Version Bibles. Most English Bible versions are confused on this issue, removing references to the New Testament and inserting 
new covenant, thereby altering the meaning. The Greek word diath, diathike for testament is the same as for covenant, but they are different terms in English. The King James Version translators used the word testament to emphasize a special teaching, as I hope to show you in this podcast. A testament hinges upon the death of the testator. We see that in Hebrews chapter number 9, verses 16 and 17. I will have more to say about this later. Hence, a testament is then a divisory will, just as the Universal Version Bible renders the word. A covenant appears in the King James Version some 295 times, and most of those usages are in the Old Testament, Genesis through the book of Malachi. But only 20 times do we read this word from Matthew through Revelation in the King James Version. A covenant is a contract or agreement. In the Bible, it is used for an agreement or promissory note, such as God made with various people in the Old Testament. Examples would be Noah and Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the nation of Israel. Paul clearly wrote how Gentile grace believers who are members of the body of Christ have had and still have no covenant status. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes that each of you were in that era without the Christ and were alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, being without expectation and without God in the world. The word testament is a more specific term than covenant. The term testament is a term from the Latin testamentum related to a testator's last will and testament. Hence, it is a very specific type of contract. It is a last will type of a contract, hence the last will and testament. The word testament appears 14 times in the King James Version, as seen in the books of Matthew through Revelation. Note in the following verses how that the New Testament relates to Jesus' death and shed blood. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 states, For this is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Mark 14, 24 states, This is my testament blood, which is poured out in behalf of many. And Luke twenty two twenty states, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. 
the you there being all of Israel. Paul wrote how God made us able ministers of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 6. And again, the us there would be members of the body of Christ. I want you to note that Paul also wrote this during the early Acts period, quoting Jesus speaking to his Jewish little flock disciples concerning the bread and wine of the so-called communion table as the cup is the New Testament in my blood in verses 24 and 25. We must realize Paul wrote this while Paul was still going to the Jew first, writing 1st and 2nd Corinthians during the Acts period. In 1st Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 2, Paul had told them to follow him, but keep the ordinances. The word there would be paradosis in the Greek, literally the Jews' tradition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, the Apostle Paul writes this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he, speaking of Jesus, had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body literally his physical body, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Paul then continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 34, saying some frightening things. Paul said, taking the cup and bread unworthily in verse 27 would bring judgment and chastening in verse 31. And the judgment in verse 28 would be in the form of sickness or death in verse 30 for the offenders. Obviously, these are performance-based conditional punishment statements that prove that Paul cannot be addressing the Gentile grace believers who have no such laws during this dispensation of the grace of God. Rather, Paul would have been addressing the Messianic Christian believers of Israel's little flock from Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 34, the following, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh 
unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye may not, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. This hardly sounds like the grace dispensation to me. Under the Lord's pure grace dispensation today, all external religious ritual observances have been eliminated, such as those listed in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, meaning food, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Paul says grace must be 100%, or it is not grace in Romans 11.16. I'm sorry, in Romans 11.6, which reads, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. He goes on to state in Romans 6.14, Ye are not under the law, but under grace. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, clearly says this about the grace believers' blessings of the New Testament. They are not law-based. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says this, Who also hath made us, the grace believers of this present grace dispensation, able ministers of, or the blessings of, the New Testament, not of the letter, which is the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. How can we explain Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 27 through 34, then. Christians need to understand the first Corinthians was written during the Acts period, a transition period from Israel's performance-based law program to Paul's grace-based identification program for the Gentile body of Jesus Christ. Note that the communion of the Lord's table, women's head coverings, and the charismatic gifts of that Acts period were mainly among the 12 Messianic apostles before Paul's conversion and continued for time only during the Acts period when Paul was going to the Jew first. As such, these were in place temporarily, ceasing with the Acts transitional period. It is also important to note that during this time frame, Paul 
was still receiving revelation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. If Paul's warning of judgment and punishment unto death for taking the bread and wine unworthily are for us today, then perhaps we also might today add Paul's admonition concerning women's head coverings, as seen in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 5 and 6. All these items mainly appear only in the early Acts period, when the twelve were preaching to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and phased out by the end of the Acts period. Note the change to come, as Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. I speak in tongues more than ye all. But also having said the charismatic gifts would cease in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, where he states, tongues, they shall cease. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And that's the gift of knowledge. Note the word testament in the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 states, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Hebrews 9.15 states, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, there were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of Eonian inheritance. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 16 states, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Verse 17 states, For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament, which is the law, was dedicated without blood. Verse 20, saying this, meaning Christ's blood, saying this is the blood of the New Testament which God has enjoined unto you. Notice that the word testament is used in conjunction with the death of someone, and in particular, the someone here being the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament is based upon the death and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes away sins while the earlier Old Testament shed blood of sacrificed animals merely covered sins. 
all one needs to do is to reread the verses that I have quoted. And you need to keep this point in mind as you reread them. Pay close attention, in particular, to Hebrews 9, verses 16 through 17, noting how a testament is of force only after the death of the testator. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross before the New Testament could be applied to anyone. In legal terms, we talk about someone's last will and testament. This is a legally binding document that someone makes in order to manage his or her estate, possessions, and so on after their death with regard to their heirs. The King James Version and the Universal Bible use the word testament in that sense, being most often used in connection with Jesus Christ's death at Golgotha, whereby he then rose from the dead is the life-giving spirit of life, according to 1 Corinthians 15.45 and Romans 8.2. Paul wrote of the members of the body of Christ in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, where he writes, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. At some point after Jesus Christ's second coming, God will write his new covenant laws in each and every believing Jew's heart, according to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, and Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 13, and Hebrews 10, verses 15 through 17. Jeremiah 31, 31 says the new covenant will be given only to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. We of the body of Christ are not Israel, and we are not under the new covenant. We are not the house of Judah, and we are not the house of Israel. Never does Paul quote Jeremiah 31, 31 and apply it to the body of Christ. The closest passage to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is what Paul wrote in Romans eleven twenty seven, applying to Israel, just read verses 25 and 26, when the writer of Hebrews quoted Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 twice on both occasions. It also was a reference to Israel. So what did Paul mean? saying we are able ministers of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. At that time, there was a certain religious faction in Corinth 
they had turned these believers away from Paul's grace gospel and his apostleship. Note how that throughout his second epistle to Corinth, he had to defend his apostleship. We see that all the way through chapters 10 through 13 in that second Corinthian epistle. Paul did not need proof from others to show that he was a legitimate apostle of Jesus Christ. He did not need letters of approval from anyone, even from the Corinthians. He pointed to the Corinthian believers' abandonment of idols and conversion to the living God as proof of his apostleship. In 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 11, we see that Paul was legitimate apostle of Christ, and Paul suffered greatly for the gospel's sake for all men. During today's Gentile dispensation of the grace of God, believers are not Israel, but we are the church the body of Christ. According to Romans chapter 6 verses 14 through 15, we are not under we we are not under the law. It reads we are under grace, not law. As we discussed earlier, Israel will ultimately possess God's laws written in their hearts. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, says, Christ made us ministers of the revelation of the secret by the Spirit in the hearts of every member of his body. The Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians 3.17, writes not on tables of stone, and, and he does not write the letter or the law. Rather, he writes the truth of Paul's grace epistles in our hearts. Paul's grace doctrine working in us unto salvation is proof of Paul's ministry. God has written his words, the message of his grace in us. Paul goes on to say, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not us, he states in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. This treasure in earthen vessels is the life of Jesus made manifest in our body, according to verse 10. It is him who is living in and through our bodies as we walk in faith, in truth, according to the dispensation of the grace of God that has been committed to the Apostle Paul for us in the body of Christ. By God's sufficiency, through his word to us, by power of the Holy Spirit, we are now able to proclaim the benefits 
of Jesus Christ's cross work. We are not under any covenants of any kind during the dispensation of the grace of God. We are simply recipients of God's grace, enjoying what he wanted to give us apart from any covenant. We today are enjoying that grace that God will give to the nation of Israel in the future. Through faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we have received the forgiveness of sins. National Israel has to wait until his second coming to receive that grace and forgiveness that will come at some point in the future after that event, according to Zechariah 12, verse 10, in Acts 3, verses 19 through 21, and Romans 11, verse 27. This is done through their new covenant with him. In short, the law condemns everyone as sinners. Yet Jesus Christ's finished sin sacrifice saves us by making us holy ones or saints. According to Romans 3, verses 19 and 20, the Mosaic law was not made with us Gentiles, yet it still affected us because its moral standards condemn all mankind as sinners. And equally so, the new covenant is not made with us, yet it still affects us in the sense that we rely upon Christ's underlying crosswork for salvation and our celestial citizenship, according to Ephesians 2.13. Because of the Adamic sin, we are condemned before God. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous before God. And this is done without any covenant. So while covenant and testament are the same Greek word, diatheke, the King James Version uses the word testament to stress a special type of unilateral promise on God's part. Jesus' New Testament refers to an inheritance that requires his shed blood, making it in force after the death of the testator in this case, Jesus himself, according to Hebrews 9.16. By contrast, a covenant is in force while the makers are living. Therefore, testament instead of covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.6 and other places, it has to do with the riches of Israel's and our inheritance. All our blessings as members of the body of Christ are now and are based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 
14 and 18 state, in whom we also inherit, being predetermined according to the purpose of him who energizes all after the counsel of his will. Verse 14, who is the down payment of our inheritance until he redeems his own possession for his applause and glory? Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may perceive what is the expectation to which he has invited you and to know what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the Holy Ones is. The Grace Age Gentile believer of the body of Christ today are not under any new covenant as Israel will be. Yet we do enjoy the same cross-based blessing of the New Testament of the Spirit that gives life. Similar to the Jeremiah 33 verses 31 through 33 promise of God to Israel's believing remnant, we already have his indwelling life with the law of the Spirit of life in our inward parts and in our hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Paul is saying, We of the body of Christ are now ministers of the New Testament's message of reconciliation to all men of all races, saved and lost in light of Jesus Christ's death at Golgotha. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 states, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Our sufficiency is of God, and so we are able or equipped to be ministers of the New Testament. God the Father has committed unto us today the word of conciliation, the message of how God is conciliating a world unto himself by the cross of Jesus Christ. Just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 to see this. All men can now be made right in God's sight, by simple faith in Golgotha's sin offering of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is all done by the working of the Holy Spirit. He works in us to bring others the grace message that had been committed to the Apostle Paul and now to us as members of the body of Christ. And he works in them so that they might see the grace given to us by the Spirit that gives life. Good day.
em Tarabuás. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.